Please be seated, friends. And if you would, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 14. We will read verses 19 to the end of the chapter. We're just looking at verse 19 tonight and the first half of verse 20. Again, let us give our best attentions. This is the Lord's word. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They passed through Pisidia and came into Pamphylia. When they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles and they spent a long time with the disciples. This is the Lord's word. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, again, we thank you for uh, such sweet hymns and true hymns. We thank you for your word to be able to read it, to understand, O Lord, as we looked at last week in Psalm 15, who may abide on the hill of the Lord, who may abide in your tent, and you speak of the one with integrity. And we look at this King David as we have read about And we are shown a man of integrity who would not condone evil. And so, Father, we pray um, that as we now open your word in this passage of Scripture from Acts, we ask, O Father, that you would minister to us, that you would speak to us by your spirit and through your word, that you would impress upon us those things you would have us learn, that we might, O Lord, be faithful, that we would grow in faithfulness to you and our service to you. Thank you again for this evening, and Father, for the blessing of worship, for gathering and having our minds and our eyes lifted to you on this Lord's day. Encourage and strengthen your saints now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When we were last together in the book of Acts, several weeks back, we examined Paul and Barnabas in Lystra. Lystra was a very different city than the previous cities that Paul and Barnabas had visited. Remember that in Antioch and in Iconium, Paul and Barnabas were driven out and an attempt was made to mistreat them and to stone them. Obviously, these are difficult things to endure and may lead to the temptation to quit. This is what we had uh, examined. Um, Persecution has a way of doing this. It's designed as ultimately to silence the people of God. It's interesting how this passage dovetails very nicely with what we were looking at this morning. We see how the enemy works. So his goal is to silence the church, or worse, to even cause Christians to apostatize, to leave the Lord and to walk away from their faith. So that was Antioch, Pisidian Antioch, and that was Iconium. When we come to Lystra, as Luke has recorded, it's a very different um, event takes place. In Lystra, 
It was not the threat of persecution which was the trial, at least not yet, but it was the allure of adulation, that is the temptation that surely, uh, the temptation that comes when people want to worship you. And if you stop and think about it, nobody in their right mind says, oh, oh, I want to worship you. No preacher's going to say, oh, you can't worship me. It doesn't work this way. But, it, but it's a very subtle thing, and it's a thing we fall into when we, we start becoming um, the golden boy of a congregation. We should never look at a pastor as a golden boy, a golden child. No pastor should promote these sorts of things. You've got to remember, the pastor's a sinner just like everyone else. He's the guy who's got the gift, he's been called, he stands up there, he preaches the word, but he goes home and he rifles through the refrigerator and he goes, is there anything good to eat in this place? And all of a sudden you start to go, oh, he's kind of just like the rest of us. And, and that's, that's not to disparage anything, but we must remember, friends, that, that we have a body of believers and we have gifts, we have a variety of gifts, a variety of ministries and effects, and the Lord assembles the church so that the church ministers to the church Ephesians 4 is very much about this very thing, about the gifts that he gives so that the body works together and builds each other up. So you, you, can, you can say, uh, well, we'd never be in this position. No one's offering a sacrifice to fill. But, but still, if anything, that, that I've, I've recognized, how beautiful the last 10 years have been of peace. And oh, how I long for days of peace. Again. And yet the temptation can be when there is peace. The temptation is, is don't rock the boat. And don't say things that are going to make people upset. Because peace itself, if it becomes an idol, it ultimately, you'll lose peace. Does that make any sense? If, you, if peace is an idol, um, you, you will ultimately lose peace. Because the only way that peace comes is through battle. And I can prove that. The only way we could have secured peace with God the Father is through Christ, our warrior king, who came to defeat the works of the devil. So we mustn't idolize peace, and we mustn't idolize good things. Um, we, we, we take the good and the bad together, as, as Solomon would write, that when times are good, be glad, and when times are bad, consider one comes from the hand of the Lord as well as another so that a man cannot know anything about his future. So we see Paul and, and Barnabas, Antioch and Iconium, suffering persecution, suffering hardship. They come to Lystra, and they come up for air. In fact, they come up for air, and the people want to worship them. <laughs> and I could imagine the temptation of how, how nice it was to not have somebody threatening to kill them to have people who would, might want to sit around them, who would welcome them, say, hey, who are you? Come over here and sit next to me. Let's talk. Let's visit. Let's, let's have you over to my house for a supper. You're a celebrity. We saw what you did with that man who was born lame and how you healed him. We think you're marvelous. And they're, they're clamoring for these men. Oh, oh, what a wonderful thing. <clears throat> and the temptation would be to say then, does this really need to end? It's nice not to feel threatened. And the temptation is, let's do nothing. Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment that they succumb to that temptation. But the temptation, I would imagine, for any minister who's enjoying peace is just don't rock the boat. And see if you can work with this. And, and, and let's just 
kind of smooth our way out of it. Praise can have the same effect as persecution upon a Christian. I want to keep my friends. I like the peace, the comfort, the ease. So to keep them, I will remain silent and just let things go. Jesus said in Mark 8, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The apostles were not ashamed of Christ. They did not value ease more than faithfulness to Christ. They did not treasure their lives more than they did Jesus Christ. And that's evident in the text in that they tore their robes. They were, they were mourning what these people were doing. Uh, remember that the priest of Zeus wanted to offer sacrifice along with the crowd to Barnabas, who they considered Zeus, and Paul, who they considered Hermes. They grieved. Uh, they would let them do no such thing, but preach the truth to them. And we are told that it was, was with difficulty that they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. The temptations that Satan hurls at us come in different manners, yet the goal always is to keep his people, the Lord's people, from faithfully serving the Lord and to love our lives more and love Christ less. We uh, saw that this morning in Eowyn Stoddard's article that I referenced. Anything to hinder the work of the gospel. That's Satan's goal. And make no mistake that these people who are persecuting are, are working in conjunction with Satan. They are deluded by him, and they think that they're doing the work of God, but they're actually doing the work of Satan. Now, they, we see in this text that there's quite a switch here. They come from the temptation of being worshipped, and Luke now records the disdain with which they are now treated in order to demonstrate and exemplify for the church the very real struggle and the goal of ministry so that the Christian, be it a minister, an elder, a deacon, or the average saint in the, in the pew. Um, it's recorded here for us so that we would not become discouraged, so that we do not lose heart, so that we understand how we're supposed to engage this world. And I would say, friends, that it's doubly hard for Americans because we've enjoyed, I mean, some of you remember the Pledge of Allegiance being said in the classroom. You remember blue laws. You remember everyone going to church, girls with their Sunday best and little boys with their little clip-on ties, right? And everyone marching to church like a father or a mother leading their ducklings into the, the sanctuary. And that was the way Sundays were observed. Look at Sundays now. We've seen such a difference in our culture. Um, you remember a time when it would have been unthinkable to say anything or to trash or to discount the Lord's church. The man of, of the cloth used to have some weight or gravitas. He's the pastor. And anymore, he's the butt of jokes because of scandal after scandal that have been hyped. You understand that We've, we've existed as a country and have had much comfort. So for us, I would think, especially as Americans, the thought of persecution or hardship ensuing because of our faith 
almost seems surreal, and yet it's a great reality. It's a great reality. So what is this struggle and what is this goal for which we must contend? I want you to just notice 19 through 28. We're going to focus on this, uh, these, uh, this verse and a half tonight. Understand, following Jesus Christ in this world will cost you and may even cost you your life. This is the message to every Christian, every Christian who decides that they want to follow Jesus Christ. They should be told, do you understand what you're getting into? I remember when my daughter Diana said, came to me and says, Daddy, Ben and I would like to get married. And I stupidly said, do you know what you're getting into? And she goes, uh-huh. And I said, no, you don't. How could you know? You don't know because you've never been married before. How would you know what to do? But you need to know on the front side, Christian, what it is to follow Jesus Christ and what it will cost you and understand that the days may come where it may even cost you your life. It may even cost you your life. Let me read to us from Luke chapter 14, verses 26 through 30. Verses you are familiar with and verses I think are good to remember and read often. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Notice that, yes, and even his own life cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. The apostles had fled Pisidian Antioch and Iconium, as they were experiencing persecution at the hands of the Jews and Gentiles who were stirred up by the Jews. Notice that in Lystra, there is no mention of a synagogue. In the previous places, they've gone to synagogues. In Lystra, whew, there's no Jewish people around here. Maybe we'll have a better go of it this time. There is no synagogue. So they have gone to Lystra to find shelter, said one commentator, from Jewish instigated threats on their lives. Lystra, as has been pointed out, is not like the other cities. In Lystra, as the result of the healing of the man, lame from birth, the people claim the gods have come down or become like men and have come down to us, and they want to worship Barnabas as Zeus and Paul as Hermes. Luke, recording that it was with difficulty that they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. I want you to observe one thing here. Uh, notice that they escape Pisidian Antioch, they, they get away from Iconium, and they come to Lystra, and notice what they encounter. It's not the same type of problems they had at the other place, but they still come and they find more problems. Where can we go, friends, where we won't have problems? Thank you, Charlie. And that's the perfect answer. Glory. It's glory. And where can we go where we will escape persecution. Again, we've, we've enjoyed a, a great, a tremendous season of peace, not just in the church, but in our country, by and large. In our country, Nigeria, 
North Korea, China, they've had decades of terrible persecution. Again, remember what Jesus said in John 15, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Friends, the only place we could go to escape persecution is glory, is heaven. There is no place in this world where one could go unless, of course, you decide, I don't want to be light and I don't want to be salt. Then you can possibly escape persecution, but you will not escape the wrath of God. And I say that again. To avoid persecution altogether, lose your witness. Stop being salty. Stop sharing the gospel. Stop shining the light of the gospel. And you can live at peace with all the world. But at the end of time, you will find yourself under the wrath of God. You ask yourself this. Would you rather suffer at the hands of men? Or would you rather have uh, fall into the hands of an angry God? That's the reality before us. That's the reality given to us. One thing we learn is that there is, in terms of this world, no safe place to flee other than the hands of God. God is our refuge, wrote the psalmist. He is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And so as we come to verse 19, we read this. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Notice the tremendous hatred that must have controlled these Jews. Paul and Barnabas had not been in those cities for some time, and yet the Jews are so animated by hatred of these godly men that no length, it would appear, is too great to go in order to make them suffer. They travel for quite a distance. One commentator said this, again, those from Pisidian Antioch traveled about 100 miles to Lystra to carry out their plan to kill Paul. Now, I want you to bear in mind, it's been weeks, perhaps months, since they've been in, in Antioch or Iconium. A um, hundred miles on foot from Antioch to Lystra. They have to come. There's a group of them. What do they do for work? What do they do for food? They have to spend money. It almost makes you want to say, what's wrong with them? Why not get a life? But no, I'm so indignant, I am so mad that I'm going to travel a hundred miles on foot at great expense to myself just so that I can kill these people who made me so mad. He's not even in their town now, but still they want to kill him. These were the unbelieving Jews from Iconium and from Pisidian Antioch, those who because of jealousy would contradict the things spoken by Paul and who were blaspheming, who incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. And in Iconium, it was the Jews who disbelieved, who stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren traveling all the way, motivated by hatred like the chief priests and elders in the days of our Lord who would plot together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. 
How is this possible? How is this possible? This is how dark, my, my friends, how dark and dead in sin men are. And just like in all these other cities, uh, they brought the influence, their influence to bear upon the people in this town. And we're told, having won over the crowds, the Jews won over the Gentile crowds uh, who weeks or months earlier had been trying to sacrifice to them. So the Jews are persuading them. And again, this commentator says, and although the Jews would be unable to object to anything Paul and Barnabas had either done or said in Lystra, just bear in mind, what did Paul and Barnabas teach? What were they instructing that was so hideous and destructive? It reminded me of the Institutes of John Calvin when he wrote them for the people in France. And, and, and Calvin's arguing, you know, actually, this isn't a bad thing for you. This is a good thing for your people. For a people of godliness, you understand what that does to a society? Who fights against blessing? Who, who does something like this? You find a people, you instruct them in the ways of the Lord. The people who used to steal, no longer steal. They're not parking their, their cars on the street now. They're parking where they're supposed to park. They're, they're paying their taxes. They're, they're calming down. They're raising their children to be productive citizens. Everything about Christianity is a blessing to any society. What could these Jews, coming from Antioch and Iconium, what could they possibly have had against Paul and Barnabas? They came to Lystra and they would have found people who were clothed and in their right minds and being godly and charitable and kind and light and salt, all these wonderful things. What could they possibly have had against Paul and Barnabas? And yet, nevertheless, they slander the apostles and oppose their work. Friends, beware. When people fight against good things, there's a problem. There is. That makes no sense to fight against what is good and what is godly. And so, this commentator says, because the Jews are unable to convince the Gentiles to rid the city of these intruders, unimpeded by the Roman military, they pick up stones and hurl them in the direction of Paul. Friends, just notice this, that the Jews had won them over. Paul warns in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. And in Galatians 5, 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. This is a primary example of that very principle at work. These people in verse 18 are trying to sacrifice and worship these men. By verse 19, they're trying to kill them. What was the difference? The difference was this, that the Jews had come and won them over. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. By their words, the Jews who hate the gospel have managed to turn the crowds who earlier were trying to worship these men, and now they have managed to turn them against the apostles. James warns, see how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And what do they do? They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. It is likely that it was the Jews, it wasn't just the Jews and the Gentiles, or it wasn't just the Gentiles, it was likely that it was the Jews who stoned him, as stoning was the usual Hebrew form of execution. They kill him, or so they believe they have killed him, and they drag him, his body, outside of the city. Friends, do you understand there is no place we can run, no place to move wherein we will be free from the threats, intimidations, the abuse, verbal, physical uh, abuse, if we are identified with Christ, 
and his spirit is within us, you will suffer. You will suffer in some way, to some extent, perhaps even to losing your life. Now, not all people will uh, suffer in losing their life, but to some extent, we will all pay a price for following Jesus Christ in this life. Family members not talking to you, people turning up their nose at you, people secretly saying things about, they said this of the early church, they said, well, they're cannibals, they have these love feasts, right? They're, they're incestuous, uh, uh, they, they eat the body and blood of Christ. They're fools. They're insurrectionists. They, they, they don't worship any, any god but this one god. And of course, we all know the Pantheon and the Parthenon. We have all these gods that need to be worshipped. And yet, the Christian said, I have no Lord but Jesus Christ. Paul says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. My friends, Paul says this in Colossians chapter 1. The world hates the Lord Jesus, and his servants become the targets because they can't see Jesus himself. That's what happens. So it is not easy. Paul and Barnabas were contradicted, they were cursed, uh, they were hunt down, pursued, slandered, having people turned against them, people embittered against them, mistreated. It was not easy. It was difficult. There is a great cost in following Jesus Christ. Do you understand? This is what the Lord says. And yet, um, there is also tremendous blessing in following Jesus Christ. Listen again to what Jesus says in Matthew 5. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You understand why they're persecuting you? It's because you're indwelt by the Spirit of God. You're united to Jesus Christ. And everything about you, because the heavenly dwells within you, you are a stench in the nostrils of the world around you. They hate that because they hate Christ. And because you're united to Jesus Christ, they will likewise um, persecute you. But those who are persecuted are blessed. Paul would say to Timothy, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. <clears throat> so they stoned Paul. And assuming, uh, supposing he was dead, they dragged him out of the city um, because they did suppose him to be dead. I can't imagine, uh, begin to imagine the pain of being stoned. It must have been absolutely terrible. Broken bones, deep bruising. So they supposed him to be dead. That was their goal. It was to kill him. They drug his body out of the city, left him to rot, left him to the birds and other wild animals, but the Lord had other plans, and, and we see this here. And it's really not described in any special or spectacular way. But we're told, but while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. Paul was knocked unconscious at the very least. They suppose him to be dead. We don't know. We can only imagine what a rough shape he was in after this stoning took place. The disciples, those men and women whom Paul and Barnabas were teaching about the Lord, and this implies that they were there for some time in order to make disciples, they were all standing around him. 
They must have supposed that he too was dead. I wonder what went through their minds. We have some idea of of how, how these early saints felt towards the apostle in Acts chapter 20 as Paul is saying, giving his farewell, the people are all sobbing and Paul is crying as well. There's a very tender relationship between the, these apostles and these disciples. They look up to them, they love them, they've brought the word of life to them. This is a very special relationship that Paul, no doubt, had with these disciples. What do you suppose went through their minds? Tremendous sorrow and grief. They've taken away our friends. Why did they do this? We trusted them. They were lovely. Was a sobriety, a great soberness of mind that, ooh, this is what Paul was talking about and Barnabas when they said, consider the cost of following Jesus Christ. You'll be despised by all men because of me. Oh, this is what they mean. We, we open ourselves up to persecution, to death. Perhaps, as they stood around them, you could hear their colossal gulps and say, maybe I should get away from this before they do this to me. They had just witnessed a terrible event. The man, the men, or the man who brought the word of life, Christ's servant, was stoned to death. And yet, well, they stood around him. He got up and entered the city. Now, they didn't heal Paul. There were no ointments. Rather, friends, the Lord helped the Apostle Paul. He protected him, had him providentially pass out at just the right time. I don't know how this works, because one commentator, one uh, old reformer, I think it was Heinrich Bullinger, said, there's no way those Jews would have come and stoned Paul and, and not, you know, made sure the job was done because they had such hatred. You know, and I'm, I'm imagining Paul wearing his robes. You know, it's like when you see somebody die. I don't know, maybe this is just an OCD thing that I do, but when I'm watching a murder mystery and somebody dies and they show the body lying on the floor, I'm looking real close at their, their lungs to see if they're breathing. <laughs> and I, I just do this, and I'm thinking, the disciples, they're going, you got a mirror on you? Let's, <laughs> you know, what are they doing? How are they examining they must have, they supposed him to be dead. So they must have really banged him up good. And they, they just, dra and they dragged him out. We're not talking dragging across 70 shag carpet now. We're talking about dragging on across stones over rough things. And they just toss his body out like he had expired. And the disciples gather around and they're looking. What's interesting is that the Lord has providentially protected Paul. Maybe it was the first blow on the head that knocked him cold. We don't know. Um, whatever the Lord did, notice this, he preserved the apostle's life, reminding us, friends, that while the stones are thrown and they hurt, we won't die before it is our time. The Lord will sustain you through the trials he calls you into. The Lord will sustain you through the trials he calls you into. And what an encouragement for those disciples, not only to see the apostles' life sustained by the Lord, but to see the resolve modeled by the apostle himself. Now this, this again, these are just small observations from the text. But here was Paul in the city 
stoned to death, dragged out of the city, only to get up and go, where? Back into the city. What? Does that make sense? Now, I would figure that if I were stoned in the city, I might, if I could get up, I would just keep going further away from the city to get away from the people who had just done this to me. So as I'm imagining this, the Jews were in the city, they stoned them in the city, they drag them out of the city, they go back into the city, they get their suitcases, I don't know, maybe to grab a latte or something, they go to celebrate. Oh, we've rid of the world of, of Paul. And there, as they're sitting in their cafe, here comes the apostle Paul walking through town. What? We just killed this man. What's he doing walking back into the city? Why did Paul do this? Was it a testimony of, you think you can do away with me? My life is in the Lord's hands. The Lord Jesus has preserved me. Was it that? It might have been that. He didn't walk away. He entered the city. He goes right back in, again to perhaps show the Jews, but at the very least, to show the disciples that you mustn't quit. You mustn't quit. You mustn't let their threats and abuses dissuade you from serving our Lord. Those disciples, and you see, it's, it wasn't just about, for Paul, and this is a lesson to us, it wasn't just about Paul getting up. We're seeing them, you know, they're disciples, they're good enough, I'm going to just, no, you know, there's, a, there's another step to discipleship that has to be encouraged. I think the Lord is teaching me these things, and I hope that we're, we're exemplifying these things. But it's that you mustn't quit. You just keep going. The Lord will make it plain, and we will get into the verse next week, and we'll see that Paul and Barnabas now go on to Derby, and they're going to continue the same things again. But I think it's a wonderful, very subtle lesson that Paul was dragged out of the city. Paul gets up and goes right back into the city. Because we have a job to do. Our life is in the Lord's hands. We will not expire one skosh of a second before we're supposed to expire. And the message of that Paul, he's not interested in just seeing the saplings. One commentator, one reformed man said, it's not that he's just interested in seeing the saplings pop through the dirt. He wants to see them mature. And so he does this as an example to them. You mustn't quit. You mustn't quit when this happens. Very fundamental lessons for us in our following of Jesus Christ. Understanding that there's no place we can go, friends, where we won't have hardship and trial. So we would all do very well to get used to this in our lives and to continue to do the work the Lord has called us to with a complete confidence in him. Let me close us in prayer. We thank you, Father, again for this night, and I thank you for this brief but very... Um, uh, informative text we thank you for this and for the lessons that we draw from it of the apostle paul and his life we thank you father that we understand that uh, that you've made it very plain to us that they have hated you the world hates you and it will hate us as well and yet O oh lord you've called us what a privilege to serve the lord jesus what a privilege to be able to handle these wonderful treasures and to be able to speak them we can only ask father that you would open doors for your gospel, that we will be bold and, and faithful in holding up the Lord Jesus, that we will count it a privilege to endure and hardship for the Lord Jesus. And we ask, Father, that you would help us not to quit. 
Help us to hold fast, to persevere in these things, uh, and, and to do so for the sake of those who have yet to come to know the Lord Jesus and inherit heaven. We thank you, Father, that we know one day these things will be done. They will be. Seventy or eighty years if due to strength, but we have an eternity of glory ahead of us with you. Father, would you please sustain and help us? We humbly ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.